Lord Almighty, we thank you so much for your, uh, your constant grace. We thank you that we are brought here by you and your power. Father, please continue to teach us uh, about your covenants and your ways that we might um, continue to understand, that we might uh, grow to love you more, and that that would trickle into every aspect of our lives. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm sure you all think that we're done with Abraham. Um, but we're not. There's still more to, more to unpack with the Abraham Covenant. Uh, so we're going to do one more lesson on the Abrahamic Covenant. And we're going to wrap up a couple of things, and then we'll move on. Finally, I know it's been six years. Um, I hope you're not bored. Um, a couple of things to review. So the Abrahamic Covenant uh, is the covenant of grace that God established with Abraham and Abraham's offspring, where God promised the entire future of his covenant kingdom, uh, both in its old and its new covenant stages. So God promised right, to Abraham and to his offspring a kingdom, right, a land, a people, kings would come from him, um, there, he would make his name great, there would be tons of offspring, right, all these promises that God has given, um, and it's both in old and new covenant stages. So it's something we haven't quite talked about yet is when do the Abrahamic promises get fulfilled? Um, and what we will see throughout Scripture is that there is partial fulfillments. There's ways that God fulfills it partially, and then there's ways that God doesn't and pushes us to wait for something greater. So we talked about this, I think, last week with um, with Hebrews 11. Right? Abraham was looking for a city made by God. He was waiting for something more than simply an earthly land. Um, even Abraham understood that the promises were greater than simply um, a land for him to live in and then die and that's it. But he was looking forward to eternal blessings. Um, so it's a covenant of grace. Right? God does not condition anything upon Abraham's works. Abraham doesn't have to earn the land. It's a gift given. Um, and Genesis said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he was, uh, he had faith. He was an inheritor of the promises by faith. So we also looked at how simply being of the lineage of Abraham was not enough. Right? It wasn't simply enough that you could trace your, your ancestry back to Abraham. Um, we've talked about Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees, how they say, well, we're sons of Abraham. And Jesus says, no, you're actually not. Um, and then the other passages like in Jeremiah where God says, circumcise your hearts, right? Cut off the foreskin of your hearts. It's not enough to be circumcised in your flesh. You have to be circumcised in your heart, which means to have faith, um, to believe the promises. Because the circumcision was a sign and seal, but it was an act of faith. It was an act of belief, even as it was something that you were receiving from the Lord. Um, and we'll, we'll continue to unpack that in just a sec about the lineage and how that relates to Abraham and Abraham's sons. Um, and the last bit of review is that the Abrahamic Covenant, the reason that we're spending so much time on it is because this is the basis for the Sinai and for the New Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant, wow. The Abrahamic Covenant is the basis for Sinai and for the New Covenant. Um, so the New Testament keeps coming back to Abraham. Sinai keeps coming back to Abraham. The promises that God made to Israel while they were in Egypt, right? It was, I have remembered my covenant that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for that reason, he's bringing Israel out of Egypt. Right? This covenant will echo throughout the rest of Scripture. It's an important one. Um, 
but we'll also see that both Sinai and the New Covenant, they have slightly different purposes. Um, So we'll unpack that when we actually start to talk about the Mosaic Covenant, um, whenever that happens, maybe in like a few years. So let's jump back in to Genesis 16. So open your Bibles, if you have them, to Genesis 16. So in Genesis 15, God confirms his promise to Abraham. He confirms that he's going to give him an offspring who would be an inheritor. Uh, Abraham was concerned, right, that, well, Lord, I don't have someone to inherit. I don't have offspring. If I were to die, this other guy who's not directly related to me, he would receive. And God says, don't worry, I will give you an offspring. And he confirmed it with this oath in Genesis 15, right, where God walks between the split animals as the, the, um, the burning fire torch thing and the, the smoking fire pot. Um, and we talked about that when we went through Exodus, right, about how that is significant that God walks through, but Abraham doesn't. Um, however, when we come to Genesis 16... Uh, what Sarai does, and so verse 1, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian female servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So what is, what is Sarai trying to do? Circumvent God's promise. What do you mean? She was doing it in the flesh instead of waiting for God's promise to uh, come through both Abraham and her. Okay. John? Uh, I, was, I would think that it's more like uh, she's going to help God make this happen. It's not so much that um, she would thwart him, but that she and her flesh would make this happen. And she knew a way. Mm-hmm. She was going to help, help the situation. I think. Yeah. That's what I've always thought it seemed like, but I figured it off too. Sure. So, a couple of options, right? She's, she's either trying to circumvent God's promise and do it her way, or she's trying to uh, hold to God's plan, and she knows how she can do it, so she's finding a route um, to basically bring the promises to bear. Um, any other thoughts about why she's doing this? What's motivating her? Doubt. Doubt. How do we know? Because I said, she laughed when the promise came. Mm-hmm. And she had to be straightened out on that, too. But she actually said in her heart that that can't happen. That's doubt. Yeah. Yeah, she, she has said in verse 2, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Do you think there's maybe some bitterness there? It's possible, right? It sounds a little bitter to say, well, God has stopped me, so we're going to go with this way, right? It sounds a little bit like there's some bitterness. Um, Obviously, we don't know her heart. We're just going off of her words, Um, but it's possible, right, that she's bitter, that she's 
in a sense, blaming God for the fact that she doesn't have children. Um, And so she says, well, there is a way where maybe I can get children, but it is kind of weird, right? Going to my servant, that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. What does that mean? How would it how would it be her children? John? Um, just thinking of other examples, Moses, um, the queen didn't bear Moses, but it sounds like it was a common custom that if you didn't have children and you were barren and you had property and slaves were property, that their children then could become your children. Um, we do adoptions, but it doesn't sound like Okay, yeah, it might be that she's planning on adopting the child and calling the child her own. Yeah, there might be a, a sense where she's the mistress of the house, um, so the children in the house are, are hers. Um, but it, it sounds a little bit, at least to me, like she's trying to live vicariously through someone else. Right? If she can't have children, then she'll, she'll try to get children through someone else. This happens with Naomi and Ruth, um, where Ruth bears children to Boaz, and all the women surround Naomi and say, Naomi has a child. Right? There's, there's some sort of conception of this going on, um, where, okay, it's someone else, but it's attributed to you. Basically, it's not your kid, but you're attached to this child somehow. Um, but it doesn't feel right. right. I'm not sure that we could point specifically to anything particularly wrong with what Sarah is doing besides the fact that it's polygamy. Um, but it doesn't feel right, does it? It feels a little schemy. It doesn't feel like this is coming from a heart of, okay, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to follow Him and let him do his thing, it's more like, okay, God's taken a while. He's clearly stopped me from having kids, so we need to, we need to do something. Um, and we always, I think we say to ourselves, right, well, God, can, God could do it through this way, right? Like, if it's not working this way, well, let's find a door. Let's try all the doors and see which ones God has opened. Um, it's harder to just wait. It's harder to just stop and actually wait and pray. We're not told that Sarai and Abraham sought the Lord. We're not told that they asked God, well, God, what if we did it this way? Is that what you want? God would have told them, no. Even though God had not specified right, how the offspring would come about yet, he hadn't told them. Okay, it's going to be through Sarah. He just said, Abraham, you're going to have an offspring. Um, and indeed, he does, right? Through Hagar, uh, Abram is, receives a son, Ishmael. But what happens, so this is verse, uh, verse 5. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Shocker, doesn't go well, right? <laughs> Instead of it being like, she's the mistress, she has all the honor now, Hagar receives a child and thinks that she's better than Sarai. Because having children was a huge 
a big deal. If you didn't have children, there was something wrong with you. You were cursed or barren or something was not right. So to have kids, right, for Hagar was almost like a one-up that she had on her mistress. Um, Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Um, and then God comes and finds her. So when the Lord said, the Lord comes to her as the angel and found her by the spring of water in the wilderness. This is verse 7, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, you shall bear a son, you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Why does God bless Ishmael? And bless Hagar. What do you think? John? Abraham's the father. It's, it is Abraham's seed. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he makes it clear that he's not chosen seed, he still is Abraham's seed. And so, by his grace, he included the Gentiles. Okay. Yeah, there's still a sense where he's, he is Abraham's son. And maybe the Lord blesses him for that reason. G? Well, Hagar is being persecuted and um, abused by Sarah, Sarah now, and the Lord has mercy on those who are unfairly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Lord is, the Lord, his heart goes out to those who are unjustly persecuted, although you could argue whether it was just or not because of Hagar's contempt. Um, but yeah, I think I think this is the Lord's grace to those who are still part of His family, even though, as we'll see in just a chapter, that there's there's something deeper going on, that God is is working multiple angles of of this whole scenario, because even though right this is Sarai's plan, we'll see that this is still God's plan, that God is doing something that is. Going back to Genesis 3.15. So turn over to Genesis 17. Right, 13 years later. Abraham, uh, 13 years after Ishmael is born, God says that Sarai, don't call her Sarai, call her Sarah. He's going to give a son to her. He's going to open her womb. Um, And Abraham said, he fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You shall call his name Isaac. Sorry, this is verse 19, by the way, of chapter 17. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So why does God 
Why does God choose Isaac to have the covenant with and not Ishmael? What's going on? Why is God blessing both of them but only making his covenant with Isaac? I mean, it's been his plan all along, of course. But what is that plan? The the hint is that this goes back to Genesis three fifteen. Michelle, because Isaac is the child of the promise. Sarah, she couldn't really bear children, just like Mary couldn't really bear children. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Isaac is a miracle from God. Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely one of the reasons. Because the promise is going to come in such a way to make it clear it's not by human works. Right? That's the thing about a covenant of grace, is it's not by human works. It's by God's works. And if it had been through Ishmael, I think Sarai, Sarah would have had reason to boast. She would have had reason to say, well, I've done something, right? I have contributed. It's by my plan that the promise is coming about. Instead of it being clear that, well, you could not have borne a child. You can't unbearing yourself. It's impossible. And so for her, because it's impossible, it can't possibly go that way. Just like when Israel is up against the Red Sea and Egypt is closing on one side, they're like, it's impossible. We're stuck between a rock and a hard place. But time and time again, what God does is he says, there is nothing impossible for me. And he brings his promises about, but in such a way that no one could boast. No one could say, I contributed, or I had my part, or I, I helped God save me. It's like with Mary. She was a virgin. It was impossible for her to bear children. And yet, not with the Lord. And child of promise comes in such a way that is a miracle. Same with Isaac. I think there's a couple of other reasons why Ishmael and Isaac are are set up as two different nations, in a sense. Even though they're both sons of Abraham. Think about Genesis 3.15. What does God promise in Genesis 3.15? A seed. Okay. How many? All the way through to Christ and, and us included in that. Okay. There's the seed of the woman. Is that the only seed? Seed of the serpent. Seed of the serpent. There's two seeds in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the serpent will bruise his heel. There's two lineages that are being set up. Two sons of Abraham. Both will be upheld by God. One will be the covenant people and the other will not. Even though they're both offspring of Abraham. Ishmael will be a great prince. He will multiply. He'll be fruitful. He will father 12 princes. He'll be made into a great nation. 
similar to how Isaac will be made into a great nation. He shall father 12 tribes of Israel. Right? There's, there's a parallelism that will show up a couple of times between Ishmael and Isaac, between two lineages, one of 12 princes that are opposed to Israel. Right, the promise that God made of Ishmael is that he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. There's going to be animosity between these two lineages. Kind of like Esau and Jacob, which will be the sons of Isaac. Esau will marry an Ishmaelite. Jacob will not. Esau does not receive the blessing. And he intermarries with the Ishmaelites. Jacob becomes the father or the, the father of the twelve tribes of Israel. He receives the blessing, even though he got it again through scheming. But there's that dichotomy, the two lineages that's being set up. There's the Lord is doing something that's going back to Genesis three fifteen. He has plans that are not just about here and now, but about the future too. He has in mind Genesis three fifteen. He has in mind preserving both the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent to set up that final showdown. Because if the seed of the serpent is gone, right, who's going to bruise Jesus' heel? If the seed of the serpent is gone, how is Jesus going to crush his head? Right, there's what the serpent thinks he's doing, and there's, there's what God is doing. Because the serpent thinks that he has to preserve his line, he has to try to erase the promised line, he has to try to destroy Jesus... And what he doesn't realize, or if he does realize it, it's a hopeless endeavor, is that he's playing into God's hand. This was the Lord's purpose from the beginning. Um, and I think there's, there's one more reason why God is setting up two different sons of, of Abraham. And part of that is so that we're reminded once again, it's not enough to be born into the right family. It's not enough to be one of Abraham's sons. Because Ishmael was Abraham's son. And yet... He was not of the, the promise of the covenant. Uh, clearly, the Lord is saying, the ones that I choose are the covenant people. And so we could have asked, right, well, why Ishmael and why Isaac? Is there something better about Isaac? Is there something worse about Ishmael? Same with Jacob and Esau. Was, was there something about Jacob that God loved more than Esau? Like, did Jacob, was he handsomer? Was he stronger? Was he faster? Was he... Could he play the piano better, right? Like, not really. Jacob was a schemer and a liar. His name literally means cheater. Esau was a brute and foolish. Neither of them are examples, examples of faith. Um, and yet, Jacob is the one God chose. And it would be Jacob who would, in later life, would realize this and bow before God realize that he, he had nothing of his own. Because Jacob would be the one who would wrestle God, have his hip popped out, and cling to God rather than let go. So I think there's a few reasons why God is setting up Ishmael and Isaac. Because um, there's a purpose, right? We're, we're sh- his covenants are directing us towards the cross. So I have another, another question for all of you guys. Multiple times throughout these chapters, God has said to Abraham 
that all the nations or all the families of the earth would be blessed by him. What does that mean? So I think Genesis 15 is where we first see it. Uh, I'm sorry, I think it might be 12 actually. Yeah, so chapter 12 and verse 3, God says to Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What does that mean? Everyone that God calls will come to the Lord. But he does say that all the nations or all the families would be blessed. What's God talking about? What's the blessing? It's one that they say blessing in general terms. But what is, what is that blessing? Ultimately, that blessing is salvation. Okay. So all the nations or all the families of the earth will be saved? says later that through Jesus every tribe, tongue, and nation shall be blessed through the Lord Jesus. But it still sounds a little bit like you're saying every family will be saved. So does this mean that at some point every single family or every single nation will be somehow externally blessed or saved or know God in a certain way? Okay. There's no people group on earth that no that salvation will not affect. I like that. So when the Bible says all, it doesn't always mean all. Sometimes it can mean every kind, or it can mean all types, or it can mean such an extensive, right, that it's unnumberable. It doesn't necessarily have to mean every single one, especially when we ask, so what is the blessing, right? What is the blessing that God is promising? Salvation, sure, but I think the blessing is, is a little bit more specific. It's, it's to know God. The blessing is to hear about the Lord, to be to see the Lord through Abraham's offspring. When Israel is told, here's how you shall live, part of the reason was that all the nations would see what Israel's doing, that they would glorify God. That they would look to Israel and see what Israel is doing and see through them the Lord working. That as they lived a certain life, as they walked a certain path, that it would become obvious that something about them is different. Right? And God will continue to show this throughout the Exodus and all the plagues. Right? What's the refrain is that I'm doing this so that the Pharaoh and the Israelites will know that I am the Lord. 
And it may be that that means that they will know him as Savior, or it could mean that they know him as judge, but they'll know him. Ultimately, I think that this blessing that God is referring to is that, okay, Abraham, your offspring are going to be blessed, but also all the nations will be blessed through you. That what God has in mind is not simply one people group, but all of them, like Steve said. Sorry, like Sean or Steve. And so Paul says that in Genesis 3. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel, the gospel, beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of the faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So in you all the nations shall be blessed. That's the gospel. That God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That God had in mind every people group. So when God says, says families or nations, right, he is not specifically referring to geopolitical entities. He's referring to Gentiles. Because that's what Paul says. He's referring to people who are not descendants of Abraham. Saying, even if you're not an offspring of Abraham, you can be blessed by the gospel. Through faith, you will be justified. And thus, they can become sons of Abraham. There's no salvation without becoming a son of Abraham. And that's why Paul will say in Romans, right? To be grafted in is to become a son of Abraham. To be justified by faith, you have to be grafted in. There's no alternative path of salvation for Gentiles. It's either you're saved with the Jews, with with the sons of Abraham, or you're outside. So is this a a present or a future reality? Okay. In what way? Well, because when Christ comes, Ephesians 2, 15, says that he broke down the dividing wall between the Gentiles and, in other words, the, the one seed and the other seed. And that way, Gentiles would come to know the Lord. So, future in that sense. Okay. So it's future in the sense that we're still waiting for the wall to be broken? Christ. Jesus Christ came and broke the dividing wall. So, 2,000 years ago? That makes it sound like a past reality. Well, for Abraham, it would be a future reality. Okay, I see what you're saying. So from our perspective today, is it a present or future reality? Past, present, and future. Okay. <laughs> so in what... In what, No, it's not cheating. <laughs> from From our perspective, how is it a past reality? Christ died once for all sin. Yeah, it's a past reality because it's already been accomplished. All the nations shall be blessed through Jesus, and that work has already been accomplished. For Abraham, right, he's, he's looking forward to the future, but there's still justification by faith for Abraham. You know, he believed and it was kind of dim as righteousness. Um, but how is that? Is, is there any difference then between our present reality and for Abraham, for Israel in particular, right? 
how is Israel blessing the nations and how are we blessing the nations? And is there any difference? In other words, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to follow God, what did you have to do? And what did that entail? Yeah. You had to be circumcised. You had to change all of your lifestyle. You had to keep kosher. You had to obey all the laws. You had to become part of the nation of Israel. What about now? If you want to follow God and you're a Gentile, do you need to go to a, a, a rabbi, be circumcised, become a Jew? It shouldn't be a hard question. They're still living under works, so no. But why not? <coughs> What's different for us? What's different for Gentiles today? Christ fulfilled the law perfectly in our place. Christ fulfilled the law. More specifically, Christ broke down the dividing wall and revealed that, okay, the circumcision was not actually what mattered. What mattered was the heart that desired to follow the Lord. For Gentiles in Israel's day, if you wanted to follow the Lord, you had to become a Jew. You had to be part of the nation of Israel. Today, we don't need to become part of the nation of Israel. We don't need to be circumcised. Instead, we have baptism. Baptism signifies that inclusion into the covenant, signifies that grafting in. Um, for us, we still need, in a sense, to be changed. Right? We can't stay the same. But what is different is that God is working that change through the Spirit and it's through regeneration. It's being born again. It's being having your heart circumcised by the Lord. That's what brings you into the covenant as a Gentile. Um, so in a sense, it's our present reality. Because I'm pretty sure that most of us in here are Gentiles. Right? I'm Welsh and... German and Lithuanian and probably a smattering of other things, right? You all are of various ethnicities around the world, different cultures, different countries, probably most of them not Jewish. So the only way, right, that we can be saved is if that wall is broken down, if the Lord has made a way for Gentiles to be grafted in through the Lord Jesus. And that's his purpose all along. That we are the nations who have been blessed through Abraham. But in a sense, it's also our future reality. Um, Just for fun, I looked up if there are any people on the earth who had not heard the gospel yet. Um, And I was actually pretty surprised that there's a... The Joshua Project, which is tracking it, estimates that there's about 7,000 people groups totaling around 3.3 billion people globally who have not been reached with the gospel. Somewhere around 3 billion people have never heard the gospel. Which is about 40% of the world's population. Still a lot of work to do. And to me, that's... Finding that out was like, man, we got to do that. Because that's so important. That's that's the blessing of knowing God, is, is to have the gospel preached to you. Whether you're far off or whether you're close, whether you're in America or you're in Indonesia or any corner of the globe, there is still lots of work to do. 
the gospel has lots of places still to reach. Um, now, obviously, we also know that in God's providence, not a single sheep will be lost. That God will not allow a single one of his people to be left outside of the fold. So we have lots of hope and trust in God, but we don't know how many more elect there are. We don't know where they live. We do know that the Lord will move heaven and earth for them. And he's also called people for that work, for missionaries, for people who are to go to these places. Um, My sister is currently working to help with Bible translation so that cultures that do not have the Bible in their in their language can receive it and read it and hear the gospel. So I think for our part, I'm not saying, okay, y'all need to pack your bags and go be missionaries, but we should be praying for this work. We should be praying for missionaries and supporting them. And that's what the OPC has also historically been really adamant about is we will not give up on foreign missions. Um, so we're, if you saw the, the weekly email that went out, I included a little blurb about the thank offering um, and how much money was raised. Um, I think we raised around $1.5 million through the thank offering drive across all the churches. Uh, and that goes towards the worldwide missions outreach. So I think they raised about $5 million this year in total, which goes to support foreign missions and home missions and Christian education. Um, that's a huge blessing. And praise God for that. So something that we can rejoice about, something that we can pray for, um, and something that we can also be reminded that God is doing this work because of his promise he made to Abraham. Missionaries exist because of that promise. And we have every, every confidence that God will fulfill his promise. And that he has and is and will continue to do so. Right, that's probably enough on the Abrahamic covenant. Um, if you have any more questions or com- comments, um, concerns, feel free to, to talk to me. Um, but I think we're going to move on next week to the uh, Mosaic Covenant, Lord willing. Let's uh, close our time with prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you for your promises. We thank you that since the dawn of time, you have purposed to save people from every tribe and every tongue and every language. And you brought it about through your son, Jesus, the seed of Abraham. We thank you, Lord, that we have been blessed, that we have heard the gospel, and that you gave us the grace to receive it with faith. Lord, we thank you, and we pray that you would bless this work, that the gospel would go out to the many people who have yet to hear it, that they would hear it, that they would respond with faith, that they would be saved. Lord, please continue this work and raise up missionaries and men and women to serve and to work, to translate, to preach. We pray that you would continue these these important works, Lord, so that there might be no corner of this world where the gospel has not been preached. All these things, Lord, we pray, trusting in your grace. Amen.